Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Finance. This is uh, also referred to as just Real Estate Finance or Real Estate 320. Today happens to be show number seven. And today what we're going to be doing is talking about the uh, secondary market and, uh, f and the federal credit agencies that are involved in the secondary market. Before we get started, though, as usual, I'd like to remind you all of a couple things. Please remember that, uh, and I sound almost like a broken record, but I want to make sure that you all have and have heard me say that you need to have downloaded the study guide and uh, taken the time to look up all the answers to that study guide so that you're prepared when you come in to take that first midterm exam. And as many times as I say that, and as many times as I'm accused of sounding like a broken record, I had a student show up for a class last night that said to me, uh, listen, I have never downloaded this study guide and haven't prepared for the exam, and I can't believe that no matter how many times I say it, somebody will miss it. So again, I'm going to be doing it this way probably as close to as many times as I can to remind you and also be sending out email. You need to do that because, remember, you all have an opportunity to get an A in this class without any problem at all. And we really want to encourage you with structuring it. And so if you put the work in, you will, will have no problem getting an A. Uh, the next thing that you should probably be looking at is keeping an eye on when the first midterm exam will come up. Remember, on the Blackboard website, uh, I do have the dates posted. So you're going to be want to thinking about that out here in the next, uh, uh, next few weeks, if you will. And with the idea in mind that you want to think about whether you want to come to the morning session or the afternoon session and uh, that you need to get here in plenty of time to find parking so that we can, you can get here and start the exam on time. Very, very important that you be thinking about those things. So with that, uh, what I want to do now is move on to what we're talking about tonight in, or today, if you will, in this uh, particular chapter. And we're talking about the secondary market, and we talked about that before in Chapter 2. That was where we were talking about Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Jenny Mae, and the concept behind that was that the primary lenders, if you remember, the banks, the mortgage bankers, the mortgage brokers, whoever, are creating these loans. Those are the people that are dealing with you as an individual one-on-one. -on -one. And then after they've created so many of those loans, they're called, they create what they call a pool of mortgages, and then consequently, they need to find some place to sell those. And so what they do is they sell those mortgages on the secondary market. Hopefully, when they sell them on the secondary market, they sell them at a profit. They get their money returned back that they had already lent out. Now they have new money to lend out again, and hopefully they also make a profit. Another thing that I want to stress to you uh, probably many times is remember that there are a lot of guidelines that have to be followed in order to sell these mortgages on the secondary market. And uh, again, it starts even with the basic application that people will fill out for a home loan. Okay, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uses the same form. Also, they'll collect the same information. They'll have certain very specific stringent guidelines on how the property is to be appraised and established value. And the whole concept behind setting up these standards is so that when they get ready to sell these mortgages to the secondary market, everybody, and I mean everybody, is following the same set of rules. Uh, so you don't have one lending institution having one set of rules on how they're going to lend in some other institution. You're establishing some common standards for everybody to follow. And that's a lot of times the reason why when you're getting a home loan, while you'll think you have all of your paperwork in, all of your documentation, and the lender will call you up and say, oh, by the way, I need 
you know, one more pay stub or I need your income tax statements or I need some other document. And the reason why is not because they want it. It's because in order to fulfill those standards and guidelines, those guidelines require them to collect that information, analyze it, and use it as part of the decision-making process to whether to approve or disapprove a loan. So you kind of want to keep that in mind. Now, when we're dealing with the secondary market in this chapter, we're talking about the secondary market in itself, but we're really talking about where in the world do these secondary market institutions like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginnie Mae, where do they get their money from? Where did they originally start getting their money from? Because it's just not like it, it appears out of some place. They have to have some place that they raise their money that enables them to be able to buy these mortgages. So there's several different places, and I'm going to be, I've highlighted some things in the book. And the reason why I do this is because I hopefully I'm pointing some things out in the book that you can go back and read as we go along or maybe highlight as we go along that I think are fairly important and help point these things out. So in a minute here, I'm going to be moving over to my old friendly document camera and then pointing some things out here for you to take a look at. So anyway, I'm going to start up here. It basically says in Chapter 2, we discuss the history of some of the major agencies that make up the secondary market. And remember, that was like Fannie Mae, Ginnie Mae, Freddie Mac. And their interaction with the primary market. Remember, the primary market was the lenders, like the banks, the savings and loans, the mutual savings banks, the people that are making loans, you know, the people you're dealing with. In this chapter, we will discuss the interaction of the secondary market with the investment community. So we're talking about where does the secondary market raise their money. And, it's, and it goes on from there. It says, as we have seen, mortgages that originate in the primary market are sold in the secondary market, and the funds received from them by the primary lenders are the source of the new mortgage loans to the borrowers. All that essentially means is that when those lenders sell their mortgages on the secondary market, the money that they have, they, they will receive money back from the secondary market when they sell it, and it's that money that's going to replenish their source of funds. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, it goes on from there. It says uh, the participants who make up the secondary mortgage market must themselves raise necessary funds to purchase mortgages from the primary lenders. So that's what we're talking about here. Where do they get their money from? And it goes on from there, and it just talks about basically some of the basics. It says this is generally accomplished by issuing bonds. Now, what bonds are, we are used to the concept of things like a savings bond, okay? We are used to that kind of a concept, uh, you know, where we go to the federal government and, uh, you know, maybe we have a payroll deduction and we're, we have this bond that we receive from the federal government, like a savings bond. And that savings bond may be of the type that says, by the way, you're going to accumulate interest on it, and when you get ready to turn it in, we are going to give you the full value. That's why you may have a bond, for example, where you buy it for a $25 bond for $18, and when you sell it or you, when you turn it back in again, you, you get $25 for it. That's how you earn interest. But bonds typically are paying interest. They usually are paying interest back on your money. And bonds can usually be in the form of a short-term bond or a long-term bond. Okay. Now, the next issue that we have to talk about with when we talk about bonds is what kind of collateral, what kind of things is somebody putting up to borrow the money? And you're going to find out in a lot of cases what the lenders are doing or what they're doing is that the Fannie Mae, Ginnie Mae, Freddie Mac are putting up those loans that they have bought as security for those bonds. Okay. So that's what we're going to be talking about here. 
It says, this is generally accomplished by issuing bonds, the mortgages that have been purchased by the participants in the secondary market act as collateral. Collateral meaning like when I get ready to buy a car, the car itself is the collateral for the loan. So if I don't make the payments, the bank comes and gets the car. Okay, that's the concept for the bonds they issue. These bonds are referred to as mortgage-related securities. Okay, so they're backed by the mortgages that they buy. These bonds of security uh, or securities have found a ready market for several reasons, and here's the reasons why people want to buy these bonds. Okay, first of all, the, fir the first is that the mortgage pools that underline the bonds, and I think I have this on the second hem, are broad-based, are broad-based. So what that essentially means is that you know, we've talked about this before, that what ends up happening is that, you know, you have no, if you have some kind of a calamity or a catastrophe in one part of the country, such as where we had with Katrina and we had the hurricanes and it devastated a local area, that area is devastated, but the risk, when, when you're talking about these mortgages, they're spread all over the country, so you don't have one area that has a dramatic impact on the entire portfolio of mortgages or the entire portfolio of bonds. That's why they go on from there and they say the mortgages that make up the pool are, are national in scope rather than regional. So in other words, they're coming from all over the United States. Thus, even one region of the country might be experiencing the sort of economic difficulties that could lead to a default. The rest of the mortgages in the pool from the regions are stable. Okay, so in other words, in other words, we're doing okay economically here in California, but down in New Orleans where they had Katrina, they're still having a lot of financial problems. You know, they have to rebuild the entire city and community around the neighborhood. So that's why we're spreading the risk, if you will. Default is uh, for non-payment of the mortgage by the borrower. The, the effects of the defaults are diluted by the number of mixed mortgages in the pool. So that's the idea behind it. Because we have so many mortgages coming from all over the place, one mortgage has no major impact on the entire uh, portfolio. So if one area or one mortgage goes into default, doesn't mean the entire portfolio goes down. Therefore, the whole if you will, the whole pool is fairly stable. Uh, not to confuse you, but that's one of the advantages when people invest in things such as mutual funds. You know, in the stock market, what they do is they don't own one stock. They own, they spread their money out amongst many stocks so that if one stock goes down, it has no dramatic effect on the entire portfolio. It's the same thing here. If one mortgage goes into default, or one regional area goes into default, it doesn't have a dramatic effect on the overall portfolio. So that's one of the reasons why this, why investors like this. It's stable. Number two, the second reason is that bonds are attractive to investors is the establishment of underwriting guidelines by the agencies that participate in the market. Again, that means that these agencies that are, that's why we have conforming loans and non-conforming loans. That's why they look at the fact of, you know, in other words, where the lender will sit down with you and say, okay, you cannot borrow any more than uh, where your house payment is going to be more than 25% of your income or 30% of your income. And that rule is applied uniformly throughout for everybody. Or the fact that, for example, if you get an appraisal on your house, it has to be done by a licensed real estate appraiser. And they have to use these approaches and follow this format. 
And if they don't follow that format and use these approaches, we're not going to give the loan. Okay, so that's the reason why. And the same thing when they collect documents from you, they say, you know, for example, we need two years' worth of income tax statements, or we need to see your pay stubs, or we're going to call your employer to make sure you're still working there. Again, standards. There's a set of standards that we're following. The third reason why is that the bonds are popular in most cases are that they are not double taxed, okay, double taxed. What that essentially means, again, going back to the corporation concept, is that in a corporation, the corporation is like a legal living being, an entity. A corporation pays something called a corporate tax. Then when they pass on the dividends to their investors who hold stock in the form of a stock dividend, the investors pay tax again on it. In this case, we don't have that double tax. The money goes directly to the individual, and therefore it's only taxed once. So the, so the value of the money is not diluted, if you will. It's not like, hey, we made $100,000, but the government took uh, right off the top, took uh, you know, uh, 20% of that $100,000, which left 80, and then we passed that on to the, inv uh, to the uh, investors, and then they had to pay another tax on top of that, which they finally ended up with some money to spend. Okay, it's not double taxed. Okay? Then they talk about the different types of securities that you may have itself within the portfolio. This is internally within the portfolio, and this is more or less an oversimplification of it, but to kind of get the point through. It says the first popular mortgage-backed security was the pass-through security. Okay, and it says pass-through pass securities provide the investor with an individual interest in the mortgage pool. Okay, in essence, the investor is the owner and will receive principal and interest on their share of the mortgages plus any prepayments of the mortgage. Okay, so that means they own a share of the mortgage. They're receiving the interest, the principal payments back. And when they talk about prepayments, by the way, and I'll talk about that in a minute, you know, mortgages or loans, home loans, typically, even so they're given out for over a 30-year period of time. I think historically or traditionally or statistically or whatever way you look at it, a lot of those loans are paid off about after about five or seven years. So in other words, when the investor originally gets that mortgage in the pool, that might be a mortgage that might be, a, hey, a really nice mortgage. It might be for 7 or 8%. The individual that took it out is going to pay for 30 years. You sit there and go, wow, I'm going to get a high rate of return on my money for the next 30 years, and then what ends up happening is all of a sudden the interest rates go down. The person that has the mortgage on their house decides to turn around and pay it off and refinance it at a lower interest rate, and now you're getting your mortgage prepaid off ahead of time, which also means, by the way, that now you have to go out or the pool has to go out and find mortgages uh, you know, go out and get new mortgages with that money that they just received. So if you just sent them, you know, you just refinance the loan and maybe send and pay off the mortgage, and maybe you pay off a $200,000 mortgage, now they have to go out and reuse that money to buy more mortgages so they get the interest rates coming in or the money getting paid back to them. Um, they go down here and they say, this is the downside as I just talked about. They say, however, there is a downside to the pass-through securities. Cash flows are often not predictable. Due to the propensity of borrowers to prepay their mortgages, just like I said, you know, if the interest rates today, you know, what we're looking at is six, seven, seven and a half percent, something like that. 
if all of a sudden something happens, the interest rates go down, especially on those loans that are adjustable rate loans, there will be a huge inflow of people that will refinance at the lower interest rates and pay off those higher interest rate loans, which by that very nature means that all those people that are now enjoying that higher interest rate are going to end up with a lower interest rate, are going to be in search of more mortgages to buy to use that money. So it goes on from there. It says, this means, and I think just like what I said, uh, that investors must reinvest the funds obtained from the prepayments at the lower interest rates as well. So that's what they're talking about here. Okay? So anyway, um, they go back down here and they talk about some more of these. They talk about something called a mortgage-backed security. And again, I highlighted this to make sure that, you know, kind of, came through. It said mortgage-backed securities are instruments issued by various agencies such as Ginnie Mae to raise investment funds. These securities are similar and, and familiar to the corporate bond. They pay interest at intervals with, uh, until a maturity, at which time the face value of the bond is paid to the holder. Sort of almost, uh, you know, that's the way corporate bonds are. You know, when uh, the corporations borrow money, long-term loans on corporations, they issue bonds. It might be for, say, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and the idea at the end of that period of time, the bond is completely paid off. It goes back down here, and it says, uh, these bonds also rely on over-collateralization of mortgages. What they mean by over-collateralization, and I'll talk about that in a minute, is the fact that you actually have more mortgages and value in the pool than what you than what the value of the pool of itself is. So they'll use an example here, and I'll go through and try to explain it as it goes through. Um, so anyway, these bonds also rely on over collateralization, meaning they have more mortgage than necessary. Okay, which back them to provide safety to the investors. These mortgages are held by the trustee, a third independent party, in other words who will track the interest rates in the market as well as the interest rates paid on the bonds. When the market interest rates decline to a point where the investment, and I think I have to go to the next page, investment, um, safely, safety of the pool, of the pool might be uh, endangered, the trustee will require that the issuing entity purchase more mortgage to place in the pool. Okay. So, again, this is just how they're raising money. This is a way that they're raising money. You know, the concept is that before these people can buy mortgages, they have to issue bonds. That's where they get the money from. And then they use the, bond, the mortgages as collateral. Um, the last one that they talk about here is something called collateralized mortgage obligations. And, you know, the funny thing is, is as long as I've been around finance, it seems like there's always some new type of financial instrument that is coming up that trying to meet the needs of either the people that are borrowing the money or the needs of the people that want to invest money. So this is another kind of mortgage obligation. And you'll have to follow along with this. It says the collateralized mortgage obligation allows the creation of a multi-class mortgage security. So within the security itself, we have different classes of it, okay, based on what interest rates that they pay. So it says these mortgage securities rearrange the cash flows in a series of securities with different maturity dates. So those cash flows, you may have one where it's going to mature this year, 
one next year, one 10 years from today, so on and so forth is what we're talking about. The different classes of securities are called tranches, okay? An investor can select either a long-term tranche or a short-term tranche without, with or without the pass-through privileges. What that means is that when the investor gets this, they can decide to take a, a, a security that's going to be paid off in a, in a short term, like a couple years, or in a long term, like maybe 5, 10, 15 years. That's what we're talking about. That's how they're structured. Okay? All right. So, anyway, with that, I think that I think that you get the idea of how they raise money. Uh, what I wanted to do is just mention what was on this page. I'll read a little bit of what's on this page, and then we'll move on. I'm um, uh, going to go right from here. It says, as we noted, that the Federal National Mortgage Association and the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation were originally set up as federal government uh, by the federal government to establish a strong secondary market. That's why they set it up. In other words, to set up a secondary market. So you, what you end up have happening a lot of times is that the government will create these agencies so they have control over how they're set up and how they function. And then later on, if you will, they, they privatize them. They make them a public, uh, a public corporation, if you will, or a quasi-public corporation. But they originally established them. So it goes on from there. It says they are not, however, agencies of the federal government. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are not agencies of the government. They're not, you know, just so that you know that. While they are chartered by Congress, they are private corporations. The government does not guarantee their obligations in any matter, and that's important because if you think that you're going to lend money to these agencies and be backed by the full faith and and credit of the United States, that's not true. These are private entities, is what they are. Okay. Uh, however, the public, bo- uh, the, however, the public, both the borrowers and the investors, have the perception that somehow they are federal agencies because they have, you know, we're using that thing. Uh, we're talking about the Federal National Mortgage Association. We think it's a federal government agency. That's where we get this concept from, but it's not. The perception has been boisted by the, the fact, uh, by the fact that Congress has expressed the intention of the federal support in the case of default on part of or either of the agencies, meaning the fact that Congress, in some cases, will say, you know what, these agencies are so important that if some problem comes up and they become insolvent, insolvent we may have to step in and help correct or fix the problem. Like Fannie Mae, for example, right now has been going through some problems where, uh, if you will, some financial problems, and specifically in the area of financial reporting. So they've been under a lot of heat in the newspaper right now. So hopefully there's not (laughs) any problems there with those agencies because they're so strong now. Um, To back this statement or intent, Congress has passed the Federal Housing Enterprise uh, Financial Safety and Soundness Act, this act sets the capital guidelines for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So the concept is, is that the, the Congress is trying as hard as it can to set guidelines not only for how these agencies operate, but also how they're capitalized, how they're managed, and how they do business. Because what we don't want to do is have them in a situation where, for whatever reason, all of a sudden, they're pulling any kind of financial shenanigans or some problem comes up, and the next thing you know, the whole housing 
industry collapses because of the fact of something that somebody at that agency has done. That's what they're trying to prevent. And again, if something like that happens, what ends up happening is you and I as taxpayers generally in one form or another end up paying, uh, picking up the, the bill in the end. So anyway, that was the... Uh, uh, that was the concept that they wanted you to uh, understand from there. Now we're going to talk a little bit about this, and then I'm going to go to a website and show you a couple things. It says there are a number of federal, cr federal agencies that provide both primary and secondary support. Many of these agencies were formed particularly to support mortgage loans in the agricultural sector of the economy. So now we're talking about federal credit agencies. So we have the agencies that borrow or that are buying the mortgages. Now we have agencies that are actually credit agencies that are supporting that market. So anyway, what I'm going to do is I wanted to um, show you one of uh, – what I wanted to do before we went any further is I wanted to take you, and I'm going to show you this. This is in your book, but I'm going to take you to the uh, Freddie Mac – website, okay? And the reason why I'm doing this in any of these lectures is because I want to show you the book, what's in the book, and then what I want to do is show you what's on the Internet because it actually shows you the agency, shows you how, the, uh, how they operate and what they do and how they function. So you're going to see me doing this with, you know, for now on in a lot of these lectures is to show you both sides. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move over here and I'm going to switch the old, uh, my old plasma screen here and pull up the uh, Internet screen. And the first agency, remember, all of these agencies are at your website, your Blackboard website, and they're under course or they're under website links. And we're talking right now about the stuff that's in Chapter 4. And so the first agency that I'm going to go ahead and show you is the one called Freddie Mac, Okay just so that you're familiar with it. Now, what I've done is I've not only provided a link here, but I went in and found out either on one of the pages or, or stuck together some description about what this particular agency was about so that you would have some kind of an idea. So I, I, I kind of usually either went in somewhere on the website and found a page that was about or some kind of an overview of the agency that you had some kind of a comprehension so what I did is I thought I would stick this in here in the beginning. I'd just tell you a little bit about what the agency is about. I said, Freddie Mac makes the housing more accessible and affordable. And let me see if I can make this text any bigger. Let me see. I don't know whether I can. Yeah. I'm going to be moving this around, by the way. Anyway, Freddie Mac makes the housing more accessible and affordable for millions of families across America. How uh, they link, or they say we link homeowners and renters to the world's capital markets, it is the unique mortgage credit system that makes homeownership a reality for more of American families. And then it goes down there through here, and it says, uh, every day in neighborhoods across America, we, meaning Freddie Mac, help families buy their own homes and enjoy quality and affordable rental housing, meaning that they're, they're also the ones that lend money for, like, apartments and things like that, Okay. And then it says, it goes down, down below here, and it says how they do that. They say they do it by reducing the cost of housing finance. They expand the housing opportunities for all families, including low-income and minority families. Uh, some of the other things they do is they initiate community and redevelopment lending projects. So if we have areas that are in a, a blighted area or they're going down, these are agencies that will go in and help turn that area around. 
they promote consumer education to improve. Uh, so you're going to see on this website, there's a lot of stuff that this website's good for as far as consumer education. And uh, they help, uh, let me see, they promote consumer education. And they help build strong families and thriving neighborhoods and, and communities uh, that they help finance. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and pull that website up, which is right here. And I want to show you some of the things that are at this website. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and maximize the window. And I'm going to see if I can get any more space up here. I can. Okay, so I've changed that around a little bit. What I wanted to do is kind of uh, just give you an overview of some of the things that you can find on this website that Freddie Mac provides to you. A um, couple things that I thought were interesting right off the bat that uh, they talk to you here about just the economic growth and housing activity currently in the United States. So they have a report here. So, for example, if you happen to be somebody that is interested in finding out what they're reporting, what kinds of things are going on, they're giving you a summary of the report, they're talking about the growth of the real estate industry, what's happening in the different economic sectors. It's all located here in this particular report that you can look at, and it's updated you know, on a regular basis. The concept here is to give you as a consumer, more information about what's happening in the housing industry, if you will. And I think this site, in my personal opinion, falls underneath the category of uh, easy to use, easy to find, very few well bells and whistles. Um, so they go through here and just basically uh, provide all of this kind of information for you. They also have... Uh, and I'll see how big this is. They have a summary table, and they have a projection data. And actually, I can't pull that up right now because I don't have that program. But anyway, I wanted you to see that they have that. That's a report you can look at. To go back here, I want to show you some other things that they happen to have. Um, one of the things that I thought was very important is that they have a lot of helpful, handy guides. This is under their consumer education area. Remember, this is one of their goals. So, for example, preparing for home ownership, they have different kinds of uh, brochures, documents, things like that. So one of the things that they started out with, and I think this is pretty good, is they ask the question, they talk about, is home ownership right for you? They talk about, for example, buying a home is the largest purchase people will make. I'm going to see if I can change the size of this just a little bit here and see if it has any effect on uh, what I'm doing. Make it a little bit, um, maybe that might be a little bit, I'm not sure whether that shows you. Yeah, I think you can see that on the TV. Okay, okay. Anyway, buying a home is the largest purchase most people will ever make. Home ownership has great uh, benefits. Home ownership also comes with certain responsibilities. What they're trying to do here is to provide an overview, if you will, for people that have never bought a home to help people that are new to home ownership, which I think is very important because, in my opinion, especially when it comes to the finance area, you know, people shouldn't really be buying a home unless they are completely aware of all of the costs and all of the responsibilities that they may have. For example, they do honestly and truly need to sit down as a person if they not owned a home before and do a budget and figure out how much money they spend and how much money they're going to have 
available for them to make the monthly payments. In some cases, they may have to sit down with somebody like their tax accountant and figure, well, some of the things that I'm going to be paying are going to be tax deductible, so therefore I need to consider that. And by the way, I'm going to show you where they have calculators in here that help you how to do that so that you're aware of that. Uh, another thing that, they, you, that new homeowners need to be aware of is things like, for example, they're not going to be able to call the landlord anymore when things go wrong. They're going to have to be able to f- fix it themselves. So they're either going to have to have the knowledge or the tools and the ability to do that. So they had to mo- have the money to hire somebody. They had to have the ability to fix it themselves or have a friend that can fix it. So that's what these things sort of talk about here. So some of the other things that they'll discuss in here are things such as uh, uh, you have a continuing reliable source. So some, some of the things that they'll give new homeowners that I think are important is, are you ready for homeownership? Look at a current situation and determine if you are. You have a continuing and reliable source of income prior to applying for a loan. That's very important for somebody that is. Number two, you have a credit history that shows you're ready for home ownership. So this will talk about credit history if you click on that link, which I think is really good. And it talks about credit history. So if somebody is not familiar with credit and how it affects your purchase of homes, it's right here. And because the fact is if you have good credit, what will happen is you'll get the lowest interest rate. If you have poor credit, will you still be able to get a loan? The answer to that is yes. But is it going to be for a lot more than somebody else that has good credit? And the answer to that is yes. So if your credit is not very good, doesn't mean you maybe can't get a loan, but you're going to pay a higher monthly payment is what that means. So it talks about that, which I think is important. Uh, It also says your total debt is manageable and you can afford to take on some costs associated with home ownership. So what are the costs associated with home ownership? So they'll talk about that in here. And they'll talk about the risks that are associated with it, like, for example, your monthly housing expenses. Uh, You become your own landlord, so you need to be aware of that. You must sell your house... um, You know, in other words, to move, instead of, you need to be aware of the fact that if you've been renting, when you get ready to rent, you just call the landlord and say, listen, I'm giving you 30 days notice, I'm going, I'm leaving. If you're a homeowner, you gotta put it up and you gotta sell it. And you may be able to sell it quickly or you may take a while. That's a risk that you're taking. And you can also find out if you're a new homeowner, and a lot of people especially recently realize this, is that the value of their property can go down. You know, I always love to see the market, you know, where people are thinking, hey, if I buy real estate today, it's going to go up tomorrow. And what happens is it always hits some kind of a peak. And when it hits a peak, usually I always see the peak is when you everybody is almost fanatical about it. You know, there's the, the, the lines are really long. People are standing in to buy houses, you know, and it's so hard to buy a house. And then all of a sudden, usually a few months later, the whole industry starts to go down. Okay, because what happens is is the uh, the interest rates go up because the Federal Reserve is trying to do things like stop inflation, and that's what happens. And then all of a sudden, because the size of the market reduces, the value of your house goes down because there's not as many people that are ready, willing, and able to buy your house. So you know you need to know those things. So anyway, th- this is part of the consumer education that they are providing to people. A uh, couple of the other things that I think that are in here um, that I thought, if I can find it here, uh, calculators and tools. This is a, a really interesting area uh, that's on this particular website. And I'm just going to 
show you some of these calculators that I think that are good. I won't take the time to go over them in detail and, and probably give you some samples, but I'm going to show you. The first question that a lot of people will have whenever they're looking to buy a home is should I buy or should I rent? You know, which, which situation should I be in? What is the best way for me to go? Should I continue to live in the apartment in, in, or rent the house or should I buy one? So guess what? They have a nice little calculator here that you can use to do that. And it will come up in a minute, hopefully. Hopefully, 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 here it comes. It's coming along. There we go. And what they're doing here, see if I can get this thing to go all the way up, is that they're saying to you when you fill this out, they're saying, okay, am I better off renting? What should I do? So up here you have a monthly rent. This is where you would put in what you're currently paying in rent right now. Then this is taking into fact that if you're paying renter's insurance, which you all should have if you have it, because remember if the place burns down, your stuff is not covered. You know, the, the only stuff that's covered is the landlord's stuff. Your stuff's not covered unless you have renter's insurance on. So you need to put that down. What's your yearly increase in, rent, in your uh, rent? In other words, how much do you think it's going to go up next year? Remember, if it's $700 this year, it may go up to you know some percentage. It may go up 5%, 6 7 10 whatever. So it's accounting for that. Then this is saying, what kind of a purchase price would you purchase a house for? Again, you can change these numbers around. What appreciation rate do you think it's going to get? Now, you may wonder, what in the world is an appreciation rate? If you click here, the little button will tell you what an appreciation rate means which I really like because it's putting the answer right next to the tool. Essentially, we're saying how much do we think the value of the house is going to go up every year. So it tells us that. So I think that's a really good tool. Uh, what is your savings? What is your savings rate? Meaning how much can you, when you put your money in the bank, how much rate of return do you get on your money? Traditionally right now, if we don't have a lot of money in the bank, we're lucky if we get 1%. Okay, if the interest rates, you know, go up quite a bit, we may get 3, 4, 5%. But this is saying, you know, what it's doing is it's taking a look at the money you currently have and could you make a better rate of return on your money if you invested in the real estate. That's what they're saying. So, again, if you want to know what your savings rate, what that little thing does, it tells you right here. It's the savings rate. The savings interest rate is the yearly interest rate you earn on your savings. It is also to calculate the opportunity cost of paying with cash. All opportunity cost means, it's an economic term, it means what else you would have the opportunity to do with your money. That's what it means. In contrast, savings rate is, is, is the percentage of income you save. Okay. Uh, next thing they're going to do is say, what is your state plus your federal income tax rate? Now, what becomes important is this is another factor that a lot of people don't consider. They think about the federal rate, but they forget about the fact that you also pay state income taxes. Okay, so you're considering both rates combined together is what you're doing. Uh, the next thing is years before you're going to sell or pay off. So here you're saying how many years are you going to live in that house before you sell it and pay it off? Because what's going to happen is, is it's going to use that inflation rate of the house every year to figure out in seven years what you think the house is going to be worth. Okay. Um, then down below here, this is the loan amount, how much money. So the concept is you have $125,000 purchase price. You're going to borrow $100,000. You're going to put $25,000 down. This is the loan term in years. 
okay, which you can change. This is the interest rate that you plan on paying on the loan. This happens to be the discount points. Remember, discount points is a is, is a one percent one percent of the of the amount of the amount of the loan. So if I have a loan for a hundred thousand dollars, one point would be would be a thousand dollars. Okay. Um, this down here is the origination fee. In other words, how much are you going to pay in origination fees to get the loan? Uh, are you going to pay? You know, like uh, typically there might be like an application fee or an appraisal fee or something along that line. Upfront costs you may have, yearly property taxes you may have. Uh, for example, if that house is $125,000, we would be paying roughly 1% of that. Okay, not 2000 Any yearly maintenance that you're going to have, and then your yearly property taxes, uh, your yearly property insurance you're going to pay, and then finally your selling costs of, uh, at that price when you sell it. Now, once you put all those factors in there, you just say get results. And what it will do is it will go down and it will give you an answer. Now, you may say, you know, this is not exactly right or precise, but it's giving you a ballpark figure of where you're going to stand based on the information that you put in. What's nice about this calculator is it allows you to go back in and change some numbers and recalculate it again. So in this case right here, it's just showing you regarding your ownership for seven years, your total tax savings, how much that's going to be, your total maintenance is going to be that, your selling price, remember you bought it for 125 and based on the percent you set it went up, you're going to sell it for 154 This is going to be your equity because it's considering the fact that you're, 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 not, you're not only did your property go up in value, but you paid the loan down a certain amount. Okay? This is going to be your selling costs, which are going to be a percentage of that. And then this is going to be your total payments if you own or you rent. Okay? So down here is going to have your principal and interest. It's going to have, you know, if you own, you're going to pay that. If you're renting, you're not. Taxes and insurance, you're going to pay that. Mortgage interest, you're going to pay. And then this is the total initial payment and shows you the difference between the two of them. Okay? In other words, it's having the effect of being tax deductible and a lot of other things. So it's a calculator you can do to look at these figures and see if they make any sense to you, help help you make a decision of your first-time buyer. I'm going to – and then, of course, you have graphs if you want to see the way the graphs look. Okay, shows you at what year, uh, you know, what the rent's going to happen, where the rent will eventually – here what they're doing is they're showing you that this is years, this is total cost. It's showing you that initially in red is if you own. So initially, if you own, your payments are going to be higher or your outgo is going to be higher if you own than you do if you rent. But then it shows you a break-even point at what year you're going to start where it's better to rent, it's better to own than it is to rent. Okay, again, a calculation. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to close out of this screen. The next one is you have one called tax savings. Okay, again, same situation here. This is talking about if you're just interested in how much you're going to save in taxes by turning around and having this loan that you're going to be making payments on. So this gives you a loan amount. This is the term in years. Remember, the other thing I want to point out is remember, whenever you're paying loan payments, your interest payments are very high in the beginning years. But your principal amount that you pay down is not very much. But as the years go by, you're paying less interest and more principal. So what that all that means is that the tax deductibility of that monthly payment, the, the, 
the ability to take it off your taxes goes down as the years go by because you're paying more in principal and less in interest. Um, anyway, what they do here is they show you have a loan amount of $100,000. This is the term in years. This is the interest rate. This is the discount points. This is the loan origination, if they happen to call that. You know, you would get that from your lender. This is the upfront costs again. This is your state and local income taxes. This is your appraised value. This is your yearly property taxes, so on and so forth. And then you click the button, and it will go ahead and it will calculate uh, rate adjustment by tax basis, and it gives you that. So that's what your rate's going to be based on tax basis. Okay, again, you have things like graphs, tables to back that up. Okay, and I don't see a table. Oh, wait a minute, it's going. Okay, I need to go back to that. How much can you afford is another calculator. So this right here is saying, okay, what is your down payment? What is your total monthly payment? The term in years, what's your interest rate, your property taxes, and your property insurance, okay? So it's taking all of these things together, all right, and it's going ahead and it's calculating that. And this is just showing uh, uh, principal and interest, taxes and insurance, Mortgage interest, uh, mortgage insurance, which would be like PMI or FHA insurance, and then your total monthly payment, so you know what that is. Okay, and I think it has a how much can you borrow? Again, it just it just keeps going down with all these calculators, which I think are really kind of neat. In here, um, this is good because what it's doing here on this one is how much can you realistically borrow? So what it's doing is it's saying your wages before taxes and deductions. This would be like your gross income, if you will. And this could be not only including a husband, but also a husband and wife or a father and brother or whoever's buying the property together. This is in, uh, investment income before taxes. That would be like, for example, if you have uh, stocks or bonds that are returning income to you or other real estate that's returning income to you, that's where you would put that in any kind of investment income you would have. The next thing is uh, income from rental property. So if you did have any rental properties that actually did produce rental income, that's where you would put that. Any other income you would have, like, for example, that could be retirement. It could be a pension plan. It could be a lot of different things. So that will be your total income. Down below, it shows you what your monthly payments are. So here it says uh, auto loans, student loans, rental property, other payments that you make, then down here would be your other debts that you may have. Then this is your loan terms that you're going to have, okay? Because what you have to do is look at the fact, do I make enough money for me to be able to make those monthly payments, considering all those factors? Now, remember, we're putting a bunch of zeros in here, but what we're saying, hey, the interest rate is 6.5%, uh, term 30 years. This is the down payment. Uh, this is my property tax. This is my yearly insurance. And what I'm going to be borrowing, that's based on the amount that I was going to borrow. I go ahead and click the button here. And it lays everything out for me. And it gives me conservative estimates, conservative estimates of what I can have, what I can pay for the house. Okay? So in other words, down here it's showing me what I would pay if my percent down was 5%. My down, uh, my down payment percent, my loan amount, and the price of the home, okay? And this would be at 5, this would be at 10, 20, so on and so forth. So it says the amount you can borrow based upon the various down payments, including the down payment you indicated, okay? 
And so it goes through and gives you a chart on all of that. Okay. Again, I, I, I think it's uh, very important. Here's some other ones they have in here, fixed versus adjustable rate mortgage. If you're interested in looking at the two of them, what about a fixed mortgage versus an adjustable rate mortgage? Remember, a fixed rate mortgage, what happens is you have that mortgage, and it lasts for 30 years or whatever the term is, 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years. It's always the fixed rate. On the other hand, if you have an adjustable rate mortgage, it means that it's fixed for maybe 3 months, 6 months, 9 months, a year, 3 years, 5 years, or whatever. And then after that period of time, it's going to adjust. It's going to go up. So what you want to do is you want to go ahead and calculate the differences between these. And what I think is important on this is to see that they have an interest rate here, and they have like 6.5 and an adjustable 3.7. Sometimes those lower interest rates, we even call them teaser rates, where, we, where people get lured into getting a loan because it, it's obvious right off the get-go that the interest rate is lower. But somebody doesn't tell them, oh, by the way, after six months, a year, two years, three years, four years, that interest rate's going to go up. In fact, it may even go up higher than what your fixed rate is. And so consequently, what's going to end up happening is you may very well end up having to pay a substantially higher interest rate. In fact, the sad thing is, is that a lot of people today that are going to lose their properties to foreclosure or, or turn around and have to do what we call short sales are people that did not realize when they got the equity line of credit or they bought the home that that interest rate that they got was a low interest rate in the beginning and whoever sold them that interest, whoever sold them that loan, did not give them all those facts or, or didn't explain them well enough. That's why I said that uh, in some cases I think on some of those programs what they almost need to do is have you make it mandatory that you take an exam, make it mandatory that you pass the exam and you can't get the loan so that you know for sure what, what the consequences of these loans are. They're, they're pretty dramatic. So anyway, down here we have a loan. We have a fixed and an adjustable. You get those figures from the lender. You have the loan amount that you're going to borrow. You have the term in years. You could have the same term. You could have a fixed 30 and a fixed 30. The only difference is the adjustable is going to go up after a certain period of time. You have discount points, which probably could be, I would assume, would be different. Probably if it, at that interest rate they may be higher for a fixed versus the adjustable. You have origination fees, upfront costs you may pay, state and federal income taxes, so on and so forth. And then down below here, what I like about this part here is it says regarding the adjustable rate mortgage, how many months do you have to go before you get your first adjustment? You know, like six months, nine months, a year, whatever. What are the monthly, uh, what months between rates, uh, rate adjustments? So what that means when you look at that mortgage that you're going to borrow, are they going to adjust it after, say, the fifth year, and they won't take another adjustment till the next year? Or are they going to be able to adjust it every month after that? Or what are they going to be able to do? You want to know that. Next, what's the maximum adjustment? That's the ceiling on an adjustable rate loan. When you get that, it'll have what we call a cap rate. How high can that rate go? You know, we may say that the initial rate is 3.5%. Uh, it can move no more than 2%. When the adjustment comes up, the adjustment's going to happen after, say, three years, and the cap on the interest rate is going to be 10%. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? What's the minimum rate? What's the maximum rate that you may have, which would be the cap? 
what's the margin, which is the difference between, what's the index rate. The index rate, remember, they just don't arbitrarily pick you know, and decide to raise it. What they do is they use some kind of an index, like the consumer price index or the LIBOR rate or some other rate index that they use. And down below, they finally say to you, predict change in rates. Interest rates will remain the same. This is a U. Will they remain the same? Interest rates will increase or interest rates will decrease. If you think they may increase, you click that button, you click the go button, and then this will give you the difference. This will show you what the principal and interest is going to be on a fixed rate mortgage versus the adjustable. This is why people get sold the adjustable because they think it's going to be, you know, it's like, do you want to pay, do you want to pay 432 or do you want to pay, uh, what is it, 632? Which one do you want to pay? People are going to say, I'll, I'll take the cheaper one. Okay. Down here is this is the tax and insurance. This is the mortgage, which is not going to change any different. And then this is the two payments. Okay. So then that way you have a way of figuring out the difference between the two of them. Remember, there's a lot of factors in there that you can change. We didn't change those. Okay. Again, another what I think outstanding calculator that can help you in making uh, financial decisions on what to buy. They also have, so we did the fixed versus adjustable. They have an adjustable rate mortgage. They have a 15-year versus or a 30-year. They have down payments, closing costs. They also have cost of refinancing. So this whole thing is just loaded with all kinds of different calculators that can help you and your clients make a decision and also help them become informed if they're buying, especially their first home. Very, very important, I think. I think I thought that was very, very good calculators, um, I thought at least. Um, the only thing is there, okay. A couple other things that are on this site that I think that are important. Um, I'm trying to find right here. They give you a primary mortgage market survey, so they're giving you right now what the average rates are. If you want to see what the current weekly survey is, what's happening in the market, in other words, where they survey some people, you can go out here and click this button, and what will happen is it will show you or give you a survey of what's basically going on in the market. Um, let me see if I can move this around. Okay, so it's giving you all, I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit too fast, uh, but uh, Freddie Max weekly survey uh, shows slight rise in long-term and short-term mortgage rates, and it goes down and explains where they got the information from, talks about the T-bills, talks about all the different types of information that you would need to know, which I think is pretty good. Down below, they give you a breakdown of fixed-rate mortgages by area, the overall U.S., the Northeast, the South, Central, Southwest, West. They give you the average conventional 30-year fixed rate, fees and points, so on and so forth. They give you one for the five-year, five, one-year adjustable rate mortgages. So we have a five-year mortgage that's going to adjust for every year. And then finally down here, down the bottom, we're getting a one-year adjustable. So this is really good data to keep up on what's happening within, within the industry, if you will, to help you keep informed. I'm looking to see if there's anything else at this point um, that I would want to... Um, include in here. We're getting close to the end. Um, if you want to know more about Freddie Mac, they have a nice about page here, which is where I got that initial information. And this will pull up not only what they're currently doing, but it also gives you a history. So you'll see this is where I got that initial part. 
And then down below, they have all kinds of information like what their uh, missions and values are, financial management, regulation, what kinds of businesses they do. Uh, so if you want to know what their mission and their values are, you click there, and that will open up a page, and you can see what that happens to be again talking about what their mission, their purpose is. One thing that's interesting is when you read this and you take a look at the textbook, you're going to start to realize where the, the, this information comes from. And the textbook comes, if you will, directly from the you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae websites is where it's coming from. So anyway, what I wanted to do is to show you that. Uh, we only have a few minutes to go. Uh, next time when we get together, what I'm going to be doing and um, – let me see if I can uh, close out here. I'm going to um, just minimize this and bring it back up again. Okay, and change the text size. Okay, to large. And what I wanted to do is just to show you the next time, besides talking about what's in the chapter, I'm going to be going over, we went over Freddie Mac this time. I'm going to be going over something that's in your book called the Farm Service Agency. We'll be talking about that and showing you stuff that they have there on their website. Uh, we're going to be talking about the farm credit system because, as your book discusses, one of the things that the farm systems do, these systems do, is that one of the highest risk businesses in the country is the agricultural business. You know, in other words, we have crops, and this year they grow really well, and we have plenty of corn or plenty of soybeans or whatever, and the next thing you know, we have some frost or some drought or some flood, and the entire crop is gone. So what happens is, is there are parts of these credit industries or credit uh, organizations that help support that agricultural industry, you know, to make sure that it's stable, to protect the farmers. Uh, We'll also talk about uh, Farmer Mac, which is another one. And uh, I think I may have a couple more websites up there that I'll be talking about the next time. And, again, the purpose of me doing this is to kind of hopefully liven the book up a little bit by me talking about what's in the book, pointing out to you all what, and discussing what's in there, and then taking you to those agencies that the textbook is talking about. And then, again, remember that the website links that I'm talking about are right in your Blackboard website. So if you want to see any of the stuff that I showed you, just go to the Blackboard website, go to website links, go to the particular chapter we're discussing, and that's where you'll find all the links. So, again, I want to thank you very much for watching. I want to remind you that you should be downloading the study guide. I'll mention that again. And that you should be getting yourself set up to take the uh, first midterm exam. I want to thank you very much, and we'll see you back here again for show number eight.